get some. Come and get some Morning Brew Facebook page if you've got a moment because we're going to say hi to Steve Vines in a few seconds. Live, chuck in any comments you want. All the works, all the normal stuff, really. Hello, Steve. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Normal? Yeah, normal. What's normal, normal eh? Yes. Well, I tell you what, that's a great way to start because uh, I'm thinking today not start with heavy-duty politics and current affairs as such, but some good old cracks in the pavement, holes in the road. What's at the top of the news at the moment? It is, of course, injections. It's that big, it's that subject we can't get away from. So Hong Kong has embarked on a vaccination programme, the staggering results of which are that something like just over 1.5%, say that again, 1.5% of the population have been inoculated, at this rate, will certainly be finished before the turn of the century. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But meanwhile, the consequences of the government's dogged determination to make sure that all priorities are given to mainly on vaccines is coming home to roost. About one third of the people who've signed up for the Sinovac um, injections have been no-shows when it comes to... Um, actually going to the vaccination centers and, and getting their jabs. The Sinovac still, after all this time, all these promises of reporting its third phase um, trials has failed to, done, to do so. Do we know why? I mean, the research and the paperwork oh, I isn't... Think I, I think the answer no, is, no, no, is really. the nose on your face because <laughs> they can't get the result they want. I mean, it's like... Um, why would anybody want to change an election system? It's because it doesn't work for them. You know, it's it, it's oh, kind right. of um, it's kind of coincidental simple, uh, comparison there. Yeah, and and we still know we still know because there are actually some facts out there. Yeah, that um, Sinovac is the least effective vaccine in the world of the vaccines that are in circulation in any kind of number. It have, has an efficacy rate ranging between 50 to 60%. So in these circumstances, you would have thought the government, instead of being hell-bent on the political correctness of making sure that Sinovac has priority, would look at the medicine and the science. Now what's happened, of course, is you've had fatalities following injections. You've had people rushed off to hospital following injections. Now... The fact of the matter is, causal link has not been established. We need to say that right up front. But what we also need to say is that the same expert team that has said that this is okay for Hong Kong people to have jabbed into their uh, arms mm -hmm. are the same people who, without the benefit of an autopsy, have been telling the public that there is no link that they know of between having a vaccination and either the fatalities or the illnesses that have ensued. And, you know, people here are not stupid. They're asking the question, well, if you're so sure that there's no link, what is the cause of these um, uh, illnesses and, and fatalities? Yes. So is it in the spin at the moment, Steve? Because as you quite rightly say, well, I don't the, know. the stuff I, could I be bulletproof. It could, you know, the stuff could be because, sound know. as a pound, really work, but people are worried about the way, the language that's being used, that what they're being told. No, I think they're worried about the lack of transparency. Well, yeah. They're aware that they have pronounced that these specialists have pronounced on this matter, particularly when it comes to fatalities, without the benefit of an autopsy. 
Now, I hope that, that, that all of this will come into the public domain because, you know, I'm not a vaccine skeptic. I do believe that to end the pandemic, you need to get critical mass of the population inoculated. And what the WHO defines as critical mass is 70% of the population. Well, we're at 1.5. We have way, way, way down that target. But as long as people do not believe in the integrity of the vaccination itself, they're not going to sign up for it. There's a bit of logic here, Steve. The thing I, I don't understand is in normally, if you want somebody to do something that they might, they might question, you give them every available opportunity to do it. You give them proof, you make it so easy for them to do it, they cannot question it, etc. You know what I'm getting at there. You spin it, yeah. you, you give them everything they need. So they say, okay, I'm there, whatever it might be. Well, these are matters of life and death. I mean, I'm not being, uh, I'm not exaggerating here. This is, uh, COVID can be a fatal illness, and it's possible that the antidote to it, the vaccine, could create a fatality. I mean, I hope that's not the case, but I don't know. And frankly, these people who are giving assurances that everything is all right, they don't know either. I'll tell you what has been said, Steve, and this is back to my previous point, kind of. Um, people have said, very logically, they've said, um, wouldn't it be nice if authorities would say, if you have this, if you're suffering from that, if you're suffering from Z, Y, X, it's not for you. Very, well, very, very clearly. Can we, we just go back to basics? When we, we were talking essentially about Sinovac and the BioNTech vaccine, which um, the program was rolled out yesterday, or the first stages of it were rolled out yesterday, yep. sign, and, and doesn't appear to have these problems, certainly has a higher efficacy than Sinovac. But let's just talk about Sinovac. On the mainland, if you're over 60, yeah. unless there's an exceptional case, you will not be given Sinovac. In Hong Kong, priority has been given to that cohort, that age cohort. Have we got this absolutely right, that it, it's not being given there and it is being before given I here? Came on, before I came on, I just double-checked that. Yeah, good, because that's, that's a very clear message. Are we, are we right or are we making things up here? We're not making this up. And, and in fact, um, it, it, the, the information is out there on, in the public domain. You gotcha. can get it if you're over 60 on the mainland, but as I say, it's only for exceptional reasons. So why is, why are people of that age group being protected on the mainland and on the contrary in Hong Kong, they, they are the ones who are being encouraged to go first. Simple, simple questions. The other thing I'd just say to anybody listening to this, and there must be at least one, mm. is that the good news, if you like, in inverted commas, is even if you've had the Sinovac jab, it, there's nothing to stop you getting another jab. There's nothing to stop you getting a, a BioNTech jab if it's available. And they won't. If it's available. You Apparently know. they don't, you know, one. Do, you, if you've got two doses of this stuff swirling around in your insides, it, they, they don't start to cause problems. It is the danger here, Steve, that medicine is coming um, head-to-head -head with perhaps PR, I suppose. I don't think it's coming to head to head with PR. I think it's coming head to head with politics. Okay. I mean, this whole rollout of the vaccine program has been tainted with politics from day one. It's all very well for the chief executive in name, only the CNO, to go prancing around saying, don't politicize, don't politicize. 
Who is doing the politicization? Who sits on a chair in a medical center? And the first thing she says after she's got the, got the jab is, oh, I'd like to thank the mainland for its benevolence and blah, blah, blah. If you want to focus on the science, on the medicine, you know, focus on the science and the medicine. If you want to make patriotic points about the vaccine program, go ahead and do it. But don't start whinging about the fact that it's being politicized. I mean, you know, Stino, make your mind up. I know that's a tough call. But one way or the other, either you do want to politicize it, or you've got to stop bellyaching about other people politicizing it. Let me jump down into Facebook for a second, Steve. I want to say hello to Tommy, who says, uh, he says, I booked myself for the BioNTech jabs a couple of days ago. No way I'd choose the Sinovac, but I've heard that there are folks doing the opposite. I just don't get that. Well, Tommy, I suppose the obvious answer to that one is they have a choice. Steve. Yes, I, I, I still think, you know, if people are confident in Sinovac, they should go and get that, that vaccination. I'm not even vaguely pretending to be a medical expert, but I do listen very carefully this is to what people who do know about the science have to say. And what they're saying is, and it doesn't seem to me that difficult to understand, do you want a higher or a lower level of protection against COVID? If you want a higher level of protection, you can't possibly contemplate taking the sign of that. According to the figures that we currently have, going back to our first point about give us tons more information, make it impossible for us to not have this thing, and then we'll be cool. Is that what you're saying? But there's another aspect to this, which I think we also need to consider, is there will come a time, tomorrow wouldn't be too soon in my book, where we will start to see the rollout of so-called um, uh, medical passports. So if you want to travel, you have to be able to prove to the country where you're going or to the place where you're going that you've had the jab. So the question is, and this is a very good question, if your certificate says that what you've had is the Sinovac jab, will those countries accept it as sufficient evidence of protection against the virus? I think that's interesting. That's what it is hasn't been raised too widely. And here's another question. If you look at other places where they have got big vaccination programs, the United States, Britain, Israel, Israel who who, who more or less vaccinated the whole of their country, what you see in those places is they are now giving considerable thought, as they should be, to what happens after people have been vaccinated. Mm And they're already saying that, you know, if you've been vaccinated, you're not going to be carted off to a quarantine centre, which is still the case in Hong Kong. The um, quarantine rules for people and the association rules, incidentally, for people who've been vaccinated Mm. will not be the same as they are for people who haven't been vaccinated. In other words, they're giving people an enormous incentive to go and have this vaccination. In Hong Kong, we haven't heard a single word. You could still be carted off to a quarantine centre, as I was, after two minutes contact with somebody who tested positive for the vaccine. Okay, I know, I know, it wasn't nice, we get it. (laughs) No, no, but but my point is this. My point is this. What the hell is the point of having a vaccination if the government doesn't even give consideration to what happens afterwards? You know, history doesn't stop at the moment the needle goes in your arm. Yeah. The whole point of the needle going in your arm is not just to protect 
that individual, but to enhance the protection of society as a whole. I mean, I, this is ABC of vaccination. I'm not breaking new ground well in, in mentioning this. But why in Hong Kong do we hear nothing, nothing, zilch, about what will happen after people have been vaccinated? Steve, your point about the passports is brilliant. So imagine uh, you want to go to a country that's that said we don't approve of this. They've said it publicly. We don't approve of this particular vaccine. So are they the ones who are going to say, well, it doesn't count to us if you've got whatever vaccine. We, say, we don't yeah, approve of it. So this isn't valid. Would they say that? They may well say, come on in and go to quarantine. Go into quarantine. Yeah. Let's do and a couple you know, more comments, Steve. Sorry, before we go on here. Um, there's some people are going on about your new book, but I'll save that for another day. <laughs> um, I... I'll publicise it at any moment. <laughs> so Colin, hello Colin. He says, I had my first Pfizer-BioNTech jab yesterday at EDB in Kowloon Tong. Very well organised, very well explained, went smoothly. No big fanfare for BioNTech, though. So it's nice, to hear, it's nice to hear what you thought. And by the way, if you are in the mood to write to us, uh, what about Steve's point about the vaccine passport? I mean, it's a wonderful idea, but then the second paragraph is how. And that's when it gets tricky, isn't it? Well, you look at the countries that have been using Sinovac, Brazil, Turkey, um, I, can't, I don't have the whole list in my mind, but, you know, to be honest, they're not the main places that, that Hong Kongers are likely to be travelling to. True. Oh, and of course, the mainland itself. So, you know, think about this. That's all I'm saying. Think about this. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking about seriously how they're going to do it how it's implemented producing these things how are they are they are they on your phone da, 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 all of those questions are they a little blue flip book that's a big that's a big operation absolutely so you know i mean what i'm hoping and and i'm this is absolutely what i'm hoping is that that we will actually get proper transparency surrounding the Sinovac vaccine, because that clearly, whatever happens, the government won't change its mind, will clearly be the vaccine most widely available in Hong Kong. I think it's as a minimum to the security and self-confidence of Hong Kongers that, that this curtain of obscurity which surrounds the vaccine is drawn back. And that the people who are so blithe in dismissing the incidence of, of ill health and fatalities after the vaccine has been put into people's bodies, mm. at least have the humility to say, we're really going to check this out. And once we've checked this out, you know, conducted autopsies, etc., cetera, yeah. we'll let you know the full results. I don't think that's an excessive demand by any, any you know, what's it of the imagination. So where do you think we are right now in Hong Kong? Do you think people are sort of a little bit uh, puzzled, a little bit confused about the whole thing, or do you think we're all over it and we really know what we're going to do? Just a, no, just a, I, just a I'm, feeling. I'm really, really worried because I think that not only do we have people cancelling appointments, remember, those are the people who've already decided they want the vaccine. So not only are they cancelling their appointments to have the jab, but there's a much, much higher number of people who are simply saying not going to have anything to do with this until we know more. And, you know, I can understand that attitude. This is their health. This is their well-being. Why should people have a cavalier attitude towards that? And there's no point. I know the government likes to have these adverts 
indeed, they're carried on RTHK, so they must be good. Um, of people jumping up and down and going, oh, vaccines, vaccines, very good, oh, vaccines. You know, I love the, no doubt they're holding hands to be vaccinated. Who jo- knows? Jo- joining hands, Steve. Oh, to joining hands, sorry, <laughs> I keep getting, keep getting that wrong. It's a terrible me. But the fact of the matter is, you know, that kind of propaganda will have um, zero minus zero effect. Um, what about the people who are just without any particular energy one way or the other? They're just saying, well, I think I'm going to hang out here and wait and see what happens, see how it pans out. That's kind of what you were mentioning before. Well, that's the problem. I think they, they are likely to be the majority. And the whole point, uh, just coming back to the point we were discussing earlier, the whole point about that is is that it means that Hong Kong won't have herd immunity. That's where things start to get very dangerous. And even if, and let me hope for the best, not for the worst, even if we don't achieve herd immunity in Hong Kong this year, possibly at the beginning of next year, mm-hmm. what it does mean is there will still be draconian um, restrictions on social gatherings, on all sorts of things. And it also means that the very dire state of the economy will be perpetuated for longer here than it will be in other places. People will still be losing jobs. Companies will still be closing down. Mm. And people are happy. Goodness me. Right. That's not a good thing. Sit tight. Hold that thought. We'll be back in just a little while. It's very nearly time. Well, it's 29 minutes to 11 o'clock. A few more minutes with Steve Vines. Uh, let's do a couple of comments here, Nigel. Interesting to follow any development of vaccination passports. If you are ineligible to have the jab because of underlying medical issues, it might mean you are permanently grounded if the destination does not allow for exceptional cases. Again, brilliant point. All of these and, and yeah, but and this and that, Steve. Yeah, well, I hadn't thought of that. I mean, I, you know, uh, call me naive, but I do expect that a time will come when the pandemic passes and you won't need to be producing medical certificates. So I don't know about indefinitely grounded. I think that... Well, certainly for the time being, certainly during the period. Well, I mean, he's just giving up different caveats future. that will happen. The future. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. All right, then, let's crack on. Well, I think we, we, we can't avoid the other big elephant in the room. Um, I'm not waiting with bated breath to see whether the MPC China's rubber stamp parliament will or will not rubber stamp the proposals to extinguish the possibility of having free and fair elections in Hong Kong. I mean, as night follows day, anything that comes before the MPC is approved, albeit with five abstentions or whatever the, 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 the little figure is. I think it is, um, and we, we're, we're getting too um, overwhelmed by events to perhaps recognise, but it is another very grave development. I mean, what we've been told, and in the past, what we've been told is almost always what happens, Mm. is that there will be screening of candidates to make sure that um, practically all Democrats won't be able to stand. What we know is that the, um, uh, the election committee, which chooses the chief executive, will be completely packed out. With, with various quizlings who will do what they're told. What we know is that the people who are leading the democratically-minded political parties, almost without exception, are going to be sent to jail or in otherwise 
or, or in other ways facing legal action which will disqualify them from office even if they're not screened out. What we know is that the promise of elections within a year will almost certainly not be fulfilled. So we'll have more than a year without alleged co-election. Although when they come, frankly, will it make any difference? It's a preordained result. They're going to mess around with the constituencies. What we don't know, and this is quite interesting, mm. is what kind of infighting this will create within the pro-China camp, because they will virtually be the only people allowed to be involved in politics in Hong Kong following today's expected decision. Mm. And these are people of great ambition, of great personal, um, how can I put it, the ambition, great personal um, stake in all of this. And they will be squabbling like hell. So we've had indications that Beijing is worried about the caliber of the pro-China camp and will be wanting to reinforce it. It looks as though they will be directly reinforced by people from the mainland itself. Um, it, in my mind, it's not axiomatic that somebody from the mainland is, is a better caliber than somebody from Hong Kong, but hey, you could take that point of view. It's not axiomatic that once the election system has been dismantled, to ensure that the only form of opposition that will be allowed will be some very, very mild sort of um, on the on the board of criticism. You know, people will be allowed to criticize the number of streetlights in, in Yamate or, or whatever. That will be the kind of opposition that will be considered to be acceptable. What you don't know is that if you graft that dictatorial type of system on top of a system that has enjoyed a lot of liberty, you really don't know if it will be able to bear the weight. Because the system in Hong Kong, the election system in Hong Kong was far from perfect, far from perfect to begin with. Particularly Once why, you, Steve, just looking back? Because we never had universal suffrage. Because we had this split system within LegCo with 30, uh, sorry, 50% of the seats coming from small <coughs> rig constituencies, 50% coming from, indeed, universal suffrage. We, we didn't have a good system because the district councils have very, very limited powers. The members of the legislature itself were constitutionally unable to present positive suggestions. They were unable to introduce legislation without the permission of the chief executive. So the only thing they could do was to, to oppose. And then they're saying, oh, my God, they're always opposing things. Well, that was the system. You know, now, of course, they won't oppose anything because they'll all be doing what they're told. They'll be getting their instructions direct from the bosses and they'll know what to do. I've got a question for you on this topic, Steve. Um, Britt says, interesting that ex-co member Bernard Chan came out criticising the political reforms. Thoughts, Steve. Um, he said something about taking it back to the early days of post-97. Well, he did, in fact, say, I mean, we're talking about Bernard Chan, who's the convener of Exco, mm -hmm. so <clears throat> he's hardly a well-known critic of the government, and it's, it's interesting what he had to say. He did, he did admit that this takes the process of democracy back, but, but then he added, and I've got to say this because otherwise people get excited, he added, but it, it will all be all right, it will come out well in the wash. Well, I don't know what evidence he has for how it will all come out well in the wash. I mean, we're now going back to a system which is 
as limited in its electoral scope, as is limited in its representation of people, as that which existed before the 1980s in colonial Hong Kong. We have the kind of colonial structure being imposed from Beijing that the Brits imposed in a different era at a time when aspirations were not so high, at a time when people hadn't enjoyed the degree of liberty that they did in the system as it evolved. So you're not, you're not stopping the clock, you're turning it back. And remember that in most places where you have an authoritarian government, they actually don't have the experience of liberty. This is an enormous difference. You know, you could say, well, you know, Chinese people have always been ruled by authoritarian governments. That's actually quite true. That's not an exaggeration. You could say that in the Soviet Union, aside from a small flurrying of freedom of expression after the 1917 revolution, there was no tradition of liberty or democracy in, in Tsarist Russia. I mean, all of these things are true. In Hong Kong, it's different. We have had experience and it's being taken away. And there's nothing like taking away from somebody something that they've already had. Is that the big, uh, the big problem here? You know, when somebody's experienced something and you try to make them do something else? I think it is. I think it is. And, and um, you know, there's a lot of fighting talk about how nothing matters. You know, that at one time, do you remember... All these people were going, oh, but we're always rated the top of the Heritage Foundation. Ah, yes, there is that. It's a wonderful index. It tells you everything you want to know about Hong Kong. Now, the people, the Heritage Foundation who compile that um, index, a flawed body, let me say that from the beginning. Now, the Heritage Foundation are saying, well, Hong Kong's (laughs) out the index. Hong Kong should be considered to be no different from the rest of China. Is that a big deal for you? They're now going, they're now saying, whoa, that Heritage Foundation, whoa, they're no good, whoa, they're, they're, they're um, words we're not supposed to use on, on radio. We've got the example of the Japanese <coughs> stockbrokers who are um, SBI, the largest online stock brokerage in, in Japan, who's withdrawing from Hong Kong because they're worried about the implications of the national security law. We heard yesterday that the national security law and the new conditions on not recognizing BNO passports will start affecting people who hold the mandatory provident fund in as much as when they immigrate, if they're going under the BNO scheme, they won't be able to go with their money unless they're of retirement age. So, you know, it's not as though the underlying political structure doesn't affect the the economic structure. I mean, I would just say to anybody who believes that, read your Marx, honestly. Karl Marx had a lot to say about this. And Karl Marx was wrong about a lot of things, but he wasn't wrong about that. It's depressing how many of the Quislings haven't even read Das Kapital and wouldn't know what it was if they bumped into it on a street corner. Let's go back to the BNO passport thing yesterday, uh, the um, MPF BNO thing. I, uh, that came out in our news yesterday. Um, but <coughs> surely the two ends don't quite meet because MPF is for later in life and a lot of mostly younger no, no, people. No, but, but under, the, under the MPF system, 
as it exists, or at least we thought it existed before politics yet again came into it, if you were immigrating from Hong Kong, you could wind up your account to take out your money. It was very straightforward. Yeah. Admittedly, you had to pr uh, produce documentation. Now what they're saying is, oh, yes, you can still um, emigrate. They haven't quite stopped that happening. But if you want to take your money out at the moment, you can't because we don't recognise the BNO as a as a. Well, what docu what of... documentation do you need, Steve, to do that? I mean, I wouldn't You'd think, to, I wouldn't think BNO to... would be the first choice. For your no, no, no. You have to provide proof of a visa to, to emigrate to another um, place. Mm -hmm. So what they're saying is even if you've got a visa to emigrate to, to Britain under the BNO scheme and it's stuck in your BNO passport, they're not going to recognise it. I mean, you know, we, we can get bogged down in the technicalities. Big picture is that this is citizens' money, which is being held to hostage if they take part in a scheme that the government doesn't like. It's unambiguous that people who've decided to emigrate have decided to emigrate. And we thought, everybody in Hong Kong thought, that the rules of the game were that if you decide to emigrate, you could take your money with you. Now it seems that's not so clear. So, you know, day by day, the direct, not the indirect, the direct impinging on the underlying, the great underlying structure which made Hong Kong an international business center is being diminished. The fact that the police can go around dishing out bank freeze orders and keep them in place for literally years Nobody assumed that would be part of the way that Hong Kong was run. Couldn't they always in times gone by? You, if you had, it was a very exceptional case. Oh, but they could do it, yeah. Yes, the, the, the powers are there. I mean, you know, the powers are there to do all sorts of things. The question is how they're exercised. Mm. And you can understand if the police came across a major criminal organisation <coughs> that had um, got loads of money through ill-gotten gains, they may well wish to, to freeze those accounts. But these accounts are being frozen purely for political reasons now. And as I keep saying, you can't, you know, you, you can't um, build a brick wall and take the bricks at the bottom of the wall out and assume that the rest of the walls will, will remain standing. It undermines confidence in Hong Kong banks, it undermines confidence in Hong Kong as being a safe place to put your money. And if it's not safe for the citizens of Hong Kong, it's hardly going to be safe for people from outside the SAR to consider pouring vast amounts of wealth into, into Hong Kong. Mm. And I just say this because I've read a lot of quizzling commentaries recently who are saying, oh, you look at HSBC, they're going to be expanding. This is indeed the case. But HSBC is already here. They have no choice. They either yeah. liquidate their assets in Hong Kong, which is a ludicrous proposition, or they double up. But what I'm talking about is will anybody else from outside consider making a regional base or a, even a small base in Hong Kong if it no longer offers the security and confidence that it once did? That, to me, is the basic question. Well, two categories there. One, you never know, people wanting to come in afresh and do that. And two, obviously, the ones you're on about are the ones staying here. 
the ones who well, are here there's already. No anybody's coming in. No, well, that's what I'm say saying. That. It's a possibility. It's not there off the cards, no though, is it? People, there are evidence of people going out. And, you know, it's fighting talk. All the quizlings say, ah, oh, yeah, you know, we can do without this one. We can do without that one. Japanese, they did awful things during the war. Well, you know, fighting talk. Good, good luck with that, lads. If you want to be the great Millwall supporters of the Middle East, you know, the crowds that chant, no one likes us and we don't care, fine, fine. But, you know, Millwall Football Club has never succeeded. I just put that in and I don't know much about football. Steve Vines, love your work. Bye-bye for now.